Good morning. We will be reading John chapter 13 this morning. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, What I am doing you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, the one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him. That was why he said, not all of you are clean. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. I am not speaking of all of you. I know whom I have chosen, but the scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. I am telling you this now before it takes place that when it does take place, you may believe that I am he. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives the one I send receives me, and whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. After saying these things, Jesus was troubled in his spirit and testified, truly, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. The disciples looked at one another, uncertain of whom he spoke. One of his disciples, whom Jesus loved, was reclining at table at Jesus' side. So Simon Peter motioned to him to ask Jesus of whom he was speaking. So that disciple, leaning back against Jesus, said to him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, It is he to whom I will give this morsel of bread when I have dipped it. So when he had dipped the morsel, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. 
Then after he had taken the morsel, Satan entered into him. Jesus said to him, What you are going to do, do quickly. Now no one at the table knew why he had said this to him. Some thought that because Judas had the money bag, Jesus was telling him, Buy what we need for the feast, or that he should give something to the poor. So after receiving the morsel of bread, he immediately went out, and it was night. When he had gone out, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him at once. Little children, yet a little while I am with you. You will seek me, and just as I said to the Jews, so now also I say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered him, where I am going, you cannot follow me now but you will follow afterward. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Jesus answered, will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. This is the word of God. And it was night, John tells us, Jesus, the light of the world, had come, and John, probably the disciple closest to Jesus during his ministry, tells us at this point, and it was night, literally, but figuratively as well, because the light of the world would, as it appear, uh, be overcome by darkness in order to save us from our sins. And so that moment, and it was night, represents this transition that takes place in John's gospel. We're now entering four chapters, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17. Sorry, that's five chapters. I was never good at math. Um, We're we're entering a phase of John's gospel called the farewell discourse. This is the the last supper. This is the night he was betrayed. This is the night before he was executed on a Roman cross. Very special, intimate moment between him and the 12 disciples. And John records it. This is the beginning of the farewell discourse, and we're going to look at it for the next several weeks. Now, there's a subplot here, right? Judas Iscariot, he betrays Jesus. And although that's the most juicy bit of the whole story, it's not the central theme. The central theme of what we see in chapter 13 is this really interesting, unprecedented object lesson that Jesus provides for his disciples on that final evening that they were together. And this was his object, listen. He got up at the beginning of the meal. He altered his clothes to represent a servant. He looked like like a simple common house servant. And then he washed their feet and he dried their feet. Now I want you to think about that. I want you to picture that. He had to get up. And he had to walk around to each one of them 
and he had to stoop down low, and he had to get close, and he had to wash their, their road-worn, stinking feet. I want you to picture that. If you wore Tevas in the 1990s, you know exactly what I'm talking about, because even after a person washes, the odor remains, okay? And here is Jesus doing this for them. This foot washing was Jesus' final object lesson. It's a living parable. He tells all these parables. Well, here is a living parable, and it's the grand finale of everything he wants to impress upon them before he's taken away, before he would die. This is the, the foot washing is the culmination of all that Jesus had said, all that he was about, and it's the very essence. What's represented in this foot washing is the very essence of what it means to follow Jesus. So that if you neglect what the foot washing is about personally, if you neglect it or deny it or ignore it in your life as a Christian, it is the most unchristian thing to do, to ignore it. A Christian like Christ, is a servant. If you want to get at the heart of what it means to live as a Christian, a Christian is a servant. And even beneath that statement is another statement. To follow Jesus, you must first let him serve you. If you're not a Christian, if you're not sure, and if you're wondering what does it take to be a Christian, a Christ follower, not simply a religious person, but a Christ follower. This is important to understand, and this is a hard thing for anyone to accept. You have to humble yourself and let Jesus serve you if you're going to follow him. And today we're going to talk about the mission of a servant. If you follow Jesus, what's your mission? We're also going to talk about the heart of a servant. If you are a servant, what is the nature of your heart? And finally, we're going to talk about a servant's sacrifice. Those three things, the, the, uh, the mission of a servant, the heart of a servant, and then a servant's sacrifice. So the mission of a servant, according to Jesus, is, as he said, to love one another as I have loved you. Did you catch that in the reading? He said to them, after the foot washing, much later, after Judas had left to betray him, to rat him out, he said, love one another as I have loved you. That's the mission of a servant for Jesus. Now think about this. They're all about to eat the Passover meal. This is one of the highlights of the Jewish religious calendar. And Jesus is their rabbi. They go to the Passover and he's their rabbi. And he's not just any rabbi. This is a rabbi who is the Messiah. This is a rabbi who had just raised Lazarus from the dead. This is a rabbi who had fed thousands of people somehow from a child's small meal. This is a rabbi who commanded illnesses and nature to be still and to relent. And in that context, eating the Passover meal with Jesus, one scholar of the New Testament says, Jesus, in that moment, with the foot washing, he reverses the order of the usual hierarchy of a relationship between a teacher and his, and his pupils in that day. Peers wouldn't even wash each other's feet 
Friends wouldn't even wash each other's feet. That was a task, that was, that was a procedure in a dinner party that was reserved to the menial common servant. But here is Jesus, their teacher and their Lord, washing their feet. And he says in, in verse 12, do you understand what I've done for you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you're right, for so I am. If then I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. For I've given you an example. And the disciples right there discovered an even deeper meaning to the prophet Isaiah's ancient words, speaking for God, saying, Behold, my servant, whom I uphold, my chosen, in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit on him, and he will bring forth justice to the nations. And the disciples in that moment, as Jesus washed their feet, discovered that the Lord's servant would not only serve God the Father, but would even serve them, that he had even come to serve them. And while they were reeling from that concept, right, while it, it kind of blew them away, Jesus goes on and he says in verse 17, if you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Notice he doesn't just say, now that you know. He says, if you do these things, you will be blessed. So it's not simply go literally wash people's feet and you've done a good thing. He's saying that mutual service must define his disciples. If they were gonna represent him after he's gone, they have to serve one another. Now why would that be a blessing? Because he says if you do these things, you will be blessed. Why is that a blessing? Well. If you keep going to the end of the chapter, to verse 35, after Judas had gone out, he goes back to the theme and he says, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another. Just as I've loved you, also you are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples. You see, such behavior is not service born out of obligation. It's service born out of love. And there's a difference. So if you're, grand, there's several grandparents in the room. When you pick up your grandchild and walk your grandchild up the stairs to put them to bed, when the doctor has told you several times not to do that, are you doing it out of obligation? Of course not. You're not picking up any other, anybody else's grandkids. You're doing it out of love, and there's a difference. Love and obligation are very different motivations to serve one another. And Jesus is saying the difference here is love. The reason mutual service in Jesus' paradigm here is blessed is because it's compelling to outsiders. Love-motivated mutual service is compelling to the community and to the world, and to our neighbors and friends and coworkers. That's why Jesus says, by this all people will know that you are my disciples if you love one another in this way. Now, many of us have talked about this. Many of you, many of you have said we want training in personal evangelism. We want to be trained and encouraged in, in how to talk about our Christian faith with the people around us, and we're gonna do that, and we're probably gonna do that this very year. 
But let me say, in, in light of what Jesus has said and what he has exemplified here, our evangelism and even our apologetics need a healthy foundation of mutual love. You can convince somebody rationally of your belief system. You, you can debate and, and convince, but, but it is mutual love for one another that compels the outside world to take Jesus' disciples seriously. A servant's mission, our mission as Christians is to advance his mission through mutual love, through love that is born out of, uh, through, through, through service that is born out of love, not mere obligation. Now, how do you, how do you consistently do that as, as a community of Christians? How, how do we sustain mutual love-oriented service in a polarized society? Right? Everybody's anxious, everybody's, everybody's stressed out in our world. Uh, some people call this a toxic culture that we're, we're trying to climb out of and move forward after, after this pandemic, maybe even if you, if you go back to September 11th, 2001. So in a toxic, anxious, polarized society, how do Christians sustain mutual service, loving mutual servants? Well, by nurturing a servant's heart, each of us, and corporately nurturing, developing servants' hearts. And here's what I think simply a servant's heart is, being willing to serve without getting credit or recognition, being able to serve without reward. That's how we cultivate a servant's heart. I want you to imagine taking your kid out for ice cream and, and not responding to the urge to post a picture of that on your Instagram account. Look at me, I, I, I bought my kid a $3 ice cream cone. Everybody praise me now. Uh, I, I want you to imagine, um, maybe this is a little, little more serious, I want you to imagine feeling hashtag blessed when you attend a march for some type of social activism and, and resisting the urge to go live on your Facebook account and show everybody what a good person you are for the good cause that you're marching in. I want you to imagine doing the dishes for your spouse without expecting to be thanked or reciprocated in some way. It's not that you can't do these things. These aren't inherently bad things. I don't want you to miss the point. The question is, why are you doing them? Why are you doing them? Because we all know when we post something and we don't get the number of likes and comments we had hoped for, how do you feel? You feel a little let down. You feel a little dejected. Imagine doing the things you do out of love, not expecting reward or recognition. If it is truly service, self-centered interest is not in the equation. The Apostle Paul really gets at what Jesus is doing here and talking about when he wrote his letter to the church in Philippi, and he said to them, let each of you not look only to his own interests. He's talking about unity, the unity of Christians, and how important unity is. 
And he says, here's how you achieve unity. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves. This is his way of saying, here's how you develop a servant's heart. He says, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, emptied himself. Jesus emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant and being born in the likeness of men. I wonder if Paul had in mind Jesus dressed as a servant, washing his disciples' feet as he wrote this passage. I don't know. But he took the form of a servant, Paul said, being born in the likeness of men. Wow. So we discover here that Jesus as a servant was not just about the Last Supper and the Lord and washing his disciples' feet, but service was the whole incarnation, the whole point of God sending his son as a human being, as a baby, and through 30 plus years of his life and his ministry, it was all about service. So we see here in the foot washing not only a command, but an example to follow. Not only in that moment of washing their feet, but his whole life, the whole reason he came was he was the Lord's servant. So if you're a Christian, my encouragement to us today is submit to Jesus Christ's definition of service. Have you ever thought about that? Submit to Jesus' definition of what it means to be a servant and then become a Christ-like servant. It's easy to affirm what Jesus did and what he taught intellectually and verbally. It's another thing to submit to his way of mimicking him as a servant. And here's how to develop a servant's heart. You have to serve without getting recognized and without getting rewarded. It's not very exciting. And you're going to be disappointed at first. To develop a servant's heart, you have to be treated like a servant, frankly, because servants aren't thanked and aren't rewarded. They're doing what people expect them to do. I remember um, an Austrian missionary to refugees in Central Europe, this is like seven years ago, uh, came into a prayer meeting in the morning. We were there, and, and uh, she came in kind of discouraged. She was very honest with us, and, and uh, she said, you know, I, I'm just frustrated. I had, I had a teenage refugee in my home all day, all night. I cooked, I cooked for this person. I fed this person, and, and they were probably like every teenager, they were, sorry if you're a teenager, they were grumpy and ungrateful. I put food in front of them, they didn't want to eat it. I tried a different type of food, they didn't want to eat it. They, they didn't thank me. They looked miserable, they looked like they didn't want to be there, and I felt offended the whole time. And I'm here, she was just frustrated and saying this to all of us, and then she said something that I'll never forget. She said, as Christians, we like to call ourselves servants but we don't like to be treated as servants. Unfortunately, as sinners, the only way to develop servants' hearts is to experience what it's like to be treated as a servant. 
to not be honored, to not be thanked, to not be revered, to not be vindicated, to not be justified, to not be praised, to not be listened to. Christ-like service conflicts with the world's idea of glory. I'll use another word. Christ-like service conflicts with the world's idea of honor. Peter's sense of glory was offended at Jesus' object lesson. You remember how Peter reacted? Jesus is washing, you know, one foot after another, one disciple disciple after another, and, and Peter's like, hold on, hold on, not me. Once again, we can rely on Peter for making a fool of himself on behalf of all of us. And, and Peter says, you shall never wash my feet. Peter's saying, not, not my Messiah, not my king. I will never let my rabbi wash my feet. And it almost looks like he's sticking up for Jesus and he's honoring Jesus and he's proud of Jesus and he's defending Jesus. But Jesus responds remarkably If you do not let me wash you, you have no share with me. Again, there's the idea. To follow Jesus and to belong to him, we must first let him serve us. We can't become servants unless we let him show us what it looks like to be served. His blood washes our uncleanness. His sacrificial death on the cross atones for our sin. All of this mediates our reconciliation with God. As sinners, we're morally helpless to wash ourselves, is what Jesus is saying to Peter. He's saying, Peter, you need to be served. I have to serve you. There's no other way for you to be right with God. And so we should be patient with Peter because we would say and do the exact same thing. Have you, have you ever, um, th- think, about, think about an elderly revealed uh, grandmother or great-grandmother, some family matriarch, uh, getting up after a holiday meal at the house and starting to wash all the dishes herself, right? What's gonna happen? Everyone's going to object. Everyone's gonna stand up and say, no, sit down, sit down. You've served us your whole life. You've earned it. Sit down. We'll get the dishes. Why did you let her do that? Think about going to a company meal with your CEO, and you're all around the table in a fancy restaurant, and your CEO leaves the table and grabs, a, uh, grabs an apron from the kitchen and starts serving all of you like one of the waitresses. You would be shocked you would be embarrassed, you wouldn't know what to do. You'd wanna get up and start, you know, you'd be tempted to say, no, please sit down, this makes me feel real awkward. What, what, am I missing something? Did I miss a memo? Are we all supposed to put aprons on right now? Is this gonna come back and get me next month when the reports come in that I didn't get up and serve instead of him? We would do the same thing. We would feel just as awkward. We would get up and make fools of ourselves trying to change the scenario, and that's our problem. We don't understand the very dynamic that Jesus is trying to teach his disciples. We still don't understand it. And this is the dynamic that God's son came 
as a servant. In Mark's gospel, he says to his disciples, I came not to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. But we're lousy servants. We're not even good, at, we're not even good servants. And, and we insist on wanting to wash each other's feet in our own terms. That's how we're lousy servants. We're like Peter. Peter's trying to dictate the terms by which Jesus serves him. Peter's saying, no, Lord, you can't wash me. Okay, you're gonna wash me fine, but wash my whole body. Okay, you don't wanna wash my whole body, fine. Well, listen, I'll die for you. He keeps upping the ante and, and increasing the level of his devotion. And the whole time, Jesus is sitting there saying, Peter, you don't get it. I need to do this for you. Oh, you're gonna die for me? Let me tell you what's gonna happen by tomorrow morning. You're gonna be saying something quite different. We're lousy servants because we try and dictate the terms of our service. I'm gonna serve you, I'm gonna help you, but here's how. This is how I'm gonna help you. We're gonna do this my way. I'll serve you if you let me do it my way. Wanting gratitude is not a bad thing. Wanting recognition is not always a bad thing. Wanting glory, that's a problem. But here's my point. Wanting gratitude and recognition, wanting it, seeking it, waiting for it, and being upset that we don't get it is not service. And when the world sniffs out that dynamic, a bunch of people serving one another out of obligation on our own terms, the world doesn't see Jesus. When that dynamic perpetuates, it's not blessed and the world is not compelled. The world needs to see Jesus in how we love one another and serve one another. Some of you who aren't Christians need to see Christians loving one another as Jesus defines what it means to love. The world needs to see Christ in Christians. And the best way to see that is we serve sacrificially. We don't just serve in a way that is born out of love, but the very nature of our service is self-sacrifice, even for the sake of our enemies and our adversaries and our opponents and those who have done us wrong or think little of us. I want you to think about the fact that Jesus knew Judas was going to betray him and he washed Judas's feet anyway. The apostles would always remember they would always remember that the, one, that the one of them that left, the one of them that was given over to Satan and sold out to Satan, Jesus also had washed his feet. It's a type of service that only Jesus can provide. We are called servants. We should serve in his name as he served. But there's a type of service that only Jesus could do. And it's similar to Jesus saying to Peter, unless you let me serve you, you have no part in me. He would say to them, I'm leaving, and where I am going, you cannot come. We're together, but this is where you stop, Jesus says, and this is where I need to continue by myself. Only the Lord's servant, 
Only the Lamb of God, as, as John the Baptist said in chapter one, only the Lord's servant could die for the sins of the world. No other servant would do. And so we see here in the foot washing not only a command and not even just an example. We see the foot washing lived out practically the very next day in an act, a sacrificial act, moving from command to example to sacrifice. A servant's heart is what distinguishes Jesus Christ and Christianity from every other religion, I think. Not not just the miracles. Of course, the Son of God was going to be able to exhibit power over nature and evil. Of course. But to serve sacrificially, even his enemies, that's what sets Jesus apart. And that's what sets the Christian apart. And so we echo the words of the ancient Israelites in in Exodus, who among the gods is like you? There is no one like Jesus. And it's not just because he fed the 5,000. It's not just because he raised Lazarus from the dead. And it's not just because he himself came out of the grave alive. It is because Jesus loved and gave his life up for his enemies. He is the servant king. And to follow him, you must first let him serve you. What is holding you up in your thinking, in your mind, in your history, whatever guilt or shame you have within yourself, whatever voices that other people are speaking to you that you can't get away from telling you who you are, uh, whatever it is, something you own or possess or someone you're unwilling to let go of, what is it that makes it impossible for you to let Jesus wash your feet? You have to answer that question. Let him serve you. Figure out what that is, and then let him serve you. He knows what it is, and he doesn't care. He wants to serve you. He wants to wash your feet. He died for you. What more proof do you need that he wants to serve you? You must let him do that, or you have no part in him. Submit to Jesus Christ and let him serve you. Submit to his definition of what it means to be a servant and then become a Christ-like servant. That has to be the foundation amongst ourselves if we're gonna reach Westminster and Carroll County. We have to start here where the dynamic is not compelling. Our mission is to mutually love one another in service, cultivating servants' hearts that do not seek praise or honor or glory or recognition, but simply do it because Jesus has done it for us and we love him. Even serving one another, even serving our neighbors sacrificially in a polarized, toxic, anxious society. Let's pray. Father, we are not used to making ourselves vulnerable for people to see us for who we are, realize we need help, and help us. We like to have the upper hand. We like to evade uh, uh, the, the acknowledgement of our need. 
forgive us. Thank you that you served your enemies and died for them. Thank you that you showed us that even those who betray us, even those who betray us, must be a part of our community, must be a part of our mission to serve one another, even as you, as you have served us. So Father, transform the way we think about our identity as Christians and transform the way we think about service and justice and mercy and participation and volunteering and parenting and marriage and friendship and giving. Help us to become servants that are like the Lord's servant. In his name, amen.